the series on running our best lap yet. I am loving the series. Uh, anybody else enjoying this? Yes. It's brilliant, isn't it? Can't believe how much stuff there is to talk about, about running our race. So our foundation scripture, you can all quote it all by now. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, says, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Q, Chris. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the writer of Hebrews, and I've read this in so many different versions, he says, let us lay aside every weight. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us strip off anything that's going to slow us down, that encumbrance. We don't go running a race with a backpack on our backs. That's for the training session. When it comes to the actual race, when it comes to the marathon, you take that backpack off. So we're going to throw off any unnecessary weights because when we're carrying unnecessary weights, that baggage, it's going to slow you down, it's going to trip you up, and it's going to tire you out and you're not going to be able to finish your race. So just recently, by way of a quick, a quick catch-up of things that we've spoken about, of stuff that we're going to lay aside. First of all, we spoke about laying aside our past, that we cannot run forward with one eye on the front and one eye on the back. Well, then you'd have to completely squint or weird, but we can't keep looking backwards if we're going forwards. Jesus already paid the price in full. We've, we've, we've covered about our shame and our guilt. Jesus has paid the price. In this world, in the world that we're living, there are actually two categories of people. There are the guilty and there are the forgiven. And as a child of God, you're forgiven. There's no shame. There's no guilt. Jesus has taken our shame. He's taken our guilt and he's nailed it to the cross. He condemned sin in the flesh. Remember the message Chris spoke on a couple of weeks ago? Jesus took that charge sheet, that, that list of sin, and he's paid the price in full. Uh, he has paid our fine, and we can have peace with God. We can't carry around shame and guilt. We can have peace with God. Not because we feel peace, okay? Not because we feel at peace, but because we know that God is not condemning us. There's no condemnation from God. It might be self-condemnation or others' condemnation, but from God, there's no condemnation. There is nothing between us and God but love and acceptance. Like one of those songs we sang, I'm already loved, I'm already chosen, I'm already accepted. We don't have to earn anything from God. Another thing we spoke about last week, I think it was, was pride, about laying aside pride. And we drew a comparison between the humility of Daniel and the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. And we read from 1 Peter 5, the Bible says, God resists the proud. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God 
that he may exalt you in due time. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he was eating grass like an ox for seven years until he looked up, until he humbled himself and he looked up and he was restored back, his kingdom was restored to him. But he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So today, we're going to look at another thing, another aspect of our lives, which we seem to be so prone to carrying around with ourselves. And that weight is worry. And actually, Chris, can you keep that scripture up? Yes, you have, thank you. I just wanna, I just wanna, I think this is so powerful. In 1 Peter 5, verses five and six, it says, well, in verse, um, in verse, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In fact, let me read it from my Bible. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And verse 7, it's not going to come up on the screen, but just listen to this. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So in other words, he's saying, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. How do you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? The way you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is by casting your care onto him. That shows an act of humility because he cares for us. It means that we trust him. He cares for us. You know what? You are more important to God than your needs. Yes, you've got needs. Yes, we've all got needs. But he cares for you. And so because he cares for you, you can cast your cares onto him. And I love the terminology. That's Peter who wrote this, this fisherman. He knows everything about casting. He's not, if, if Veronica was in here now with those beanbags, they're going to be throwing beanbags around in kids' church this morning. But I could have actually asked her for one and I would have seen how far can I throw that beanbag. That's casting. That's casting our cares unto God because he cares for you. He cares for you. So casting our cares is an act of humility, but worry can be an unnecessary, unnecessary weight which we can carry around with us. And listen to what it says in 1 Peter 6, those scriptures in the J.B. Phillips translation. It's not one that you hear very often. And it says, humble yourself under God's strong hand, and in his own good time, he will lift you up. And I love this description. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties. Talking about laying aside every weight, and he says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. How wonderful is God? You are his personal concern. So we're going to look at a well-known scripture now, Matthew chapter 6. I know that everybody is very well, in, we're very well aware of the scripture. Can I have your glass? Matthew chapter 6, verses 25, well-known scripture, 25 to 34. This is Jesus speaking, so if your Bible has the words of Jesus in red, this would all be in red. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm having a dig at my husband. He bought me this beautiful, beautiful Bible, but none of the words of Jesus are in red. And I was so disappointed. I was like, but it's such a beautiful Bible. 
but I thought I'll, I'll forgive him. <laughs> it's a beautiful Bible. <coughs> but Matthew chapter 6, it says, Therefore I say to you, Jesus says to us, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I love that. Worrying, worrying doesn't make you taller. It doesn't, it, you know, especially all the vertically challenged people in the congregation said, Amen. But worrying doesn't make you taller. It says, can, you, can, can it add anything to your life? In fact, worrying reduces you. Worrying reduces you. And he goes on in verse 28, he says, So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Not just, he won't just clothe you, but so much more. Verse 31, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And he goes on, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Worrying reduces you, but, but when we come to God, when we seek him, he adds to us. He says in verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, God's not impervious to our needs. He knows what you have need of. He's not some God at a distance. But worrying about our needs reduces us. It cannot make us taller. It adds no value. It just depletes us. Worrying depletes us. But the Bible says in that scripture, put God first. Put God first and he will take care of all your needs. All these things will be added, he says. I like, I like what it says in the message. It says, try not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. And that's, I think, sometimes we can be like that. Lord, I have this need, I have this need, I have this need. But God is giving us, in the meantime, if we just take our eyes off our circumstances and just see what God is giving into us. And, but I'll, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But in that scripture in Matthew chapter 6, three times Jesus says these words, do not worry, do not worry. And we know that from the Bible, when there's repetition, it means significance. There's, God is trying to say something to us here. You know, but sometimes when I hear those words, 
Sometimes I catch myself worrying. Okay, I'm just being honest. But sometimes things can start working on my mind. And, and I think of the scripture, do not worry. I think, oh, I mustn't worry. It's almost like a law. And the minute I put myself under a law, I've had it. Because the little rebellious nature in me says, like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> and that's just what I, what I get like. When I find myself worrying, I think, don't worry. But then I try and put myself under a law. And I try, okay, I won't worry. But that's not going to help. It's, it's putting yourself under law. We cannot, you know, I just know law. Jesus fulfilled the law because we can't fulfill it. But what I love is, instead of just saying, do not worry, remember last year we spoke about, we spoke on a series about taking away to establish. Taking away what we don't, God just doesn't just take away things, but he takes away in order to establish things in our lives. And that's what's happening here. When he says, do not worry, we need to displace those thoughts of worry and replace it's like when you throw that stone into a pool of water. When you throw a, throw a pebble into a pool of water, it has a ripple effect because you are displacing that water. So take that worry, cast it, cast it far from you and displace it, but then replace it. Replace it with what the Word says. What does God say? We've been singing about it this morning. What does God say about that particular need that you have? So we need to displace and replace so instead of worrying about it, pray. Ask God to meet that need and leave it with him. So three times there Jesus says, do not worry. And we see repetition means significance. And I, I had a little look on Google and I thought, I know, I think we all know that worrying is not good for us physically. But I looked up, like, give me some information now. Tell me why is worrying not good for you? Well, because it can affect us mentally and physically, and these are some of the problems that it can cause, and this is just, just a little snapshot. It can cause dizziness. Now, I've been suffering from vertigo for about almost a year, but it's not caused by worry, okay? So just, just, to, just to make put everybody my, everybody's mind at ease, I'm not so worried that I'm dizzy. But it can cause dizziness, lightheadedness, nausea, diarrhea, Irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, other digestive issues, changes to your heart rate, potentially heart disease and even heart failure. This is what worry can do to us. It can impair your immune system. It can cause depression, insomnia, panic attacks. This is what worry can do. No wonder why the Bible says, do not worry, do not worry. And just if I take those three times when, within Matthew 6, when Jesus says, do not worry, first of all, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. And I think that's speaking about provision. That's God telling us, don't worry, I will provide. He says, do not worry about your clothing. To me, that's speaking about protection. I mean, if we walked around in four degrees without our clothes on, we'd get pretty sick. But he says, do not worry about clothing. It's speaking of protection. And he says, do not worry 
about tomorrow, speaking of direction and preparation for future eventualities. So today we're just going to look, that's just my introduction, but today we're just going to look about, do not worry about the provision side of things, what you will eat and what you will drink. I'm just going to have a sip of water. And I know that a lot of people, a lot of us, in recent days, in the last 10 days, have seen this current Ukraine crisis. Man, it's, a it's just touched our hearts. It's, and, but throughout this crisis, it's made us so aware, it's made me so aware of people's basic human needs. Night after night, we've seen over a million people dragging, women mostly, with children, dragging their world's possessions in a suitcase behind them, walking across miles and miles and miles of, of, of countryside, trying to get a secure place where they can find rest and warmth and security. Their lives have been thrown into utter chaos by the Russian invasion. And it, to me, it's just put life into perspective. And it's made me so grateful for what I do have. You know, when we lie in bed at night, I'm so grateful for my bed. I'm not lying in a bunker or, you know, on the ground somewhere. I'm, I'm in a bed. I'm so grateful for having a bed. I'm so grateful for three meals a day. I'm so grateful for communication, that we can have mobile phones. We can, we can email people. The, the, the network still works, mostly. Um, we have access to education. Our kids are still going to school. We have employment. We have medication. We have access to health care. We have freedom to, to meet together as a church. I, I, saw, I saw a thing on, on Facebook today. Um, Hillsong, Kiev. They've got a church in Kiev. And there they were, in the bunker, having worship in the bunker. Come on. This is, this, to me, I love it. Don't you just love it, Eunice? And, and it's just so awesome that in the midst of this darkness, God arise, your enemies be scattered in Jesus' name. Come on, we can gather together as a church. We've got freedom in this country. Let's make the most of it. And I'm speaking to those that aren't here today. Okay, praise God for those that are. But in just thinking about these basic human needs, I just know that, they, that as human beings, we have three basic human needs. And so a bit of a psychology lesson, if you like, but um, I did do some counseling courses and stuff a few years ago, and I learned about a guy, a Russian Jew, who was born in Kiev, in, U in the Ukraine, in the early 1900s. The guy's name is Abraham Maslow. And he produced a theory called Maslow's theory, of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. And you might have seen this at times, and you might be familiar with this triangle. You can't get it up. You can't get it up on this? I thought you could. Okay, I'll show you my picture. That's what it looks like. It's a triangle. And it's, separ and it's separated into five different sections. And the, 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 the thought behind it is that if these three basic human needs down here are not met, you can't meet any of the other higher ones, okay? So I'm um, very disappointed, Chris, 
that we couldn't get that image up there. But let me just describe to you the three basic human needs in this Maslow's um, hierarchy. The first, the bottom one, the most basic of human needs is physiological. That we need to be warm, we need to be dry, we need to be fed, and we need to be watered. If you feel fed and watered, you're a third of the way there. If you've, if you've had a good night's sleep, you're a third of the way there. Your physiological needs have been met. The next level up is safety. If you feel secure, you feel safe, then that's another foundational need that we can have that's essential for basic living, for basic human living. And then the next one is called love or belonging. And that's about um, experiencing love and friendship and trust and family. And that is all, those are the three basic human needs. And I said all that only because it was um, formed, this theory was formed by Maslow, who is from Kiev. But the important thing is, is that God knows and understands what we have need of. He knows from the most basic of our needs to the needs of our souls, to the needs of our eternities. God knows all that we have need of. And recently, Chris spoke, I keep going back to his message. There was so much depth to it. And I sometimes think I just need to sit and just listen to it in bite-sized chunks because it was full of truth. But we see what Chris was speaking about in Romans chapter 8, what the Apostle Paul said. He says that in Christ we are called. And if we are called, we are justified. And if we are justified, we are glorified. Oh man, what awesome truth that God has called us. He's justified us. He's glorified us all because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus paid our debt in full. And then he goes on in Romans 8 verse 32. That's just a little foundation. It says, he who did not spare his own son, that's God, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? What profound truth. He's not just called us. He's not just saved us. He's not just adopted us, accepted us, loved us. All these things we talk about, you can read about in Ephesians and throughout the Word. But he's called us. He's justified us. He's glorified us. And how will he not freely give us all things? Because we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He knows what we have need of. All our physical needs have been provided for in Christ. All our safety needs have been provided for in Christ. All our needs for love and acceptance have been provided for in Christ. And at times, we just need to remind ourselves of this. We just need to remind ourselves. So let's look, let's remind ourselves right now. Who needs reminding? I need encouragement. Who needs reminding? Yes, thank you, Jermaine. Me too. Psalm 103, verses 2 to 5. The Bible says, Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. 
In other words, if we had those beanbags, we'd be throwing them across as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he's removed our sins from us. He's forgiven all our iniquities. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. He goes on, who heals all your diseases. You are healed. Provision has been made for your healing. Who redeems your life from destruction? You're saved. You're saved. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're saved. He crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercies. You are loved by God. You're accepted by God. He has crowned you with his love and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things. Oh, yes, chocolate cake. But you're provided for. He's provided for you so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You're energized. You are energized. I love the fact. Come here, movie nights. Two of the people that come here so early, Eunice and Margaret, packing a hundred chairs. A hundred chairs. They're the oldest people in our congregation. Sorry, I'm just saying that. Hope that didn't embarrass you, but it's, not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But they come here and they pack chairs. Pack chairs. Why? Because their youth is renewed like the eagles. They believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need. Some of your need? Some of your need? All of your need. Your life, your food, your clothing, your security, your safety, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know that a background to the scripture in Philippians It's such a fantastic book. I love Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul in about AD 62. Wow, Sandy, that's impressive. You knew that. (laughs) I looked it up, okay? But 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 the book of Philippians is one of Paul's imprisonment letters. When Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was under house arrest in Rome, and he was writing this letter to the church in Philippi, which he had established. And he was encouraging, he was, encur- he was in prison, but he was encouraging the church in Philippi and saying this. And at that time, the Philippian church were the only ones that were actually supporting Paul. They were sending money, they were sending clothing, they were sending all his needs with a guy called Epaphroditus. So if you're going to have another baby, anybody in this congregation, and you're looking for a good name for your son, there's a really good name. Call your son Epaphroditus. Okay, say that name, Epaphroditus. That's it, you got it. So, but Epaphroditus would catch a, a ship, or catch a, I was going to say catch a train. No, he would take a boat from Asia Minor to Rome. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, you know, the Titanic or praise God, it wasn't the Titanic, you wouldn't have got very far, but it wasn't a luxury liner, you know, it was, it was hard, but he would take all their needs, whatever Paul's needs were, the church in Philippi would meet those needs, and at times Epaphroditus couldn't get those gifts to Paul in time, so Paul, under house arrest in Rome, would suffer need, he would suffer lack, 
He would go without. He was in prison. He was under house arrest. He couldn't go anywhere. And that's why he says in Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul says this, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to be in need. And he says, and I know how to abound. I know how to have plenty everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Well, he knows what it's like. And you know, the book of Philippians, the, 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 the theme of that book is joy and rejoicing. That's the theme of the book, written by a guy in prison who has lack, who has need, and yet he says, I've learned in whatever state I am. So true joy is not based on our circumstances. It's not having that full tummy, although that's a nice feeling, but it's not about having a full tummy and getting everything that you want now. You know, Apostle Paul says, I have learned I have learned in whatever state I am to be content, to be satisfied. So how can we learn to be content? This is quite a challenge. How can we learn to be content? How can we overcome the weight of worry? And I think one of the, one of the best ways for us to overcome worry and to be content is to be thankful, to be thankful for what we do have. Hey. Same book, book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, still in prison, still in, under house arrest, he says these words, be anxious for nothing. He's sitting there languishing in house arrest, waiting for Epaphroditus to come over and bring him supplies. He's not worrying. In fact, one translation says, have no anxiety about anything. Do not worry, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So instead of worrying, pray. He takes away in order to establish displacing and replacing. It's no good just saying, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Do something. Pray. Give it to God. I like, I think it's the message says, shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Christ displaces worry. This is what the message says. Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. I love it when when the Bible confirms what I've, what I've preached. <laughs> but Christ displaces worry at the very center of your life. So we're looking at being thankful. We're going to replace worry with being thankful. We're going to learn how to be content with what we do have. And 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Again, it's the Apostle Paul. This isn't an imprisonment letter, but he's writing to the, to the church in Thessalonica, and he's saying, rejoice always. Rejoice always on a Monday morning. Rejoice always. P 
pray without ceasing. When everything's going my way and all my needs are met, then I'm going to give thanks. Does it say that? Nobody even batted an eyelid. I thank you, Amy. I see that nod. It doesn't say. It says rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, you look at the current situation, that stuff that's going on in the world, eh? Um, I heard some people telling me uh, last week their electricity and gas, their, their heating bills have gone up 54%. Just like that, 54%. Chris and I, we just filled up. We've got two cars, praise God. We've got two cars, but we just topped up our cars with petrol. Well, actually, the one was pretty empty. But 130 pounds in one week on petrol. Wow, how's that possible? 130 pounds in petrol. And you know, we could be wringing our hands, worrying, what are we going to do? How are we going to come out? Well, I tell you what, maybe we're going to have to cut our cloth according to the shape. Maybe we're going to have to cut back a few things. But we're going to be content. We're going to be thankful. Praise God, we've got two cars. Praise God, we've got two cars. We're not walking hundreds of kilometers to try and find safety. We are safe. We're secure. And I loved what Chris spoke about recently about running at rest. Remember he spoke about that guy on the, on the 1st of January when everybody's full of their New Year's resolutions and, you know, they've, they, they're going to they're go, now they're going to start running. They've had one or two too many um, mince pies, but they're going to go for their run. And you see the, the couch potatoes out on the 1st of January going for their jog, going for their run, and you can see they're carrying this excess weight. They really did have too many turkey dinners and too many, you know, um, mince pies, and they're struggling to go for a jog. And then along comes that gazelle, you know, the gazelle. He's sure-footed, he's pacing himself, he's steadfast, he's wearing one of those heart monitors, He's got earplugs in his, in his ears and he's running and he's cool and he's even singing while he's running and he's not even working up a sweat. How's that possible? It's just not fair. But what's the difference between the couch potato and the gazelle? It's trust. I mean, this is just my little analogy, okay? This isn't in the Bible per se, okay? I'm just using it as an analogy. But it's trust. The, that, that guy, you know, the couch potato, he's carrying his excess weight. He's carrying that weight with him. It's burdened him down. His worries have burdened him down. The gazelle has done 1 Peter 5. He's cast his cares on the Lord. He's cast his cares. He's laid aside the weight of his worries. And we can do the same. We can lay aside the weight of our worries. Either we believe God is true to his word or he's not. Either we believe that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. I'm just going to end with this. I don't know how to end. I've got so much still I want to say. <laughs> but Veronica will kill me if we go late. So, you know, sometimes God tells us to do something as well. The, the, some of God's promises are um, conditional. There's something we have to do. And it's in that, in that particular case of casting your care upon him. 
It's not, we don't carry that weight around with us, but as we cast our care on him, he, because he cares for us, and then the peace of God will come. But the peace of God doesn't just sort of descend supernaturally while we're carrying around our worries. We can't expect that to happen. The, the promises of God, some of them are conditional, and there are steps that we have to take. And we look at the church in Philippi, that church that, that provided for, for Paul, um, who were partners with Paul in his ministry. You know what he says? He's, the Apostle Paul says, you've sown something, and now I'm looking for the, for, for the account to see how God's credited this to your account. God, you've given God something to work with. These guys didn't live affluent lives. They, they, they were quite impoverished. They were living in a very modest lifestyle, and yet they gave out of their need, and they provided for Paul, and, and, but, but they had to do something. They sowed, they sowed, and I loved like what, what um, Eunice was saying in the offering this morning about sowing into the kingdom. As we, as we give something, we've got to give God something to work with. We can't just carry around this, this worry for the rest of our lives. We're going to cast it onto him. Amen. So we're going to end there.